0: And a good Sunday morning to you. No, it's not Susie Jones. Uh, Susie, speaking of health, has one of those nasty viruses uh, going on. We think uh, right now she's uh, doing much better. Thank you very much. Denny Long's filling in for my uh, my friend Susie. Uh, with uh, good, good luck. She'll be back here on CC Radio in the next day or two. But in the meantime, thanks for joining us this Sunday morning. New temperature reading is 31 degrees here in the uh, Twin Cities. Our uh, special guest this morning, is Dr. David Daniels uh, Dr. Daniels is a neurosurgeon with uh, a pediatric neuro- neurosurgeon with experience in uh, treating pediatric brain tumors that's what we're going to be talking about this morning Dr. Daniels thank you so much for uh, joining us on a Sunday morning
1: Hi Danny it's my pleasure it's great to be on here with you folks today
0: This is uh, this is the topic and we've had so many I think I've been doing this health show over the years probably 20 25 years I don't think we've ever talked about pediatric brain surgery and uh, and that uh, those cases. And uh, I want to ask. In fact, before we even do that, we always like to uh, get a little background on on our our guests. Uh, if I can ask you, what uh, were you did your study before you ended up at the Mayo Clinic?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You well, know, I'm a Minnesotan, uh, true and true. So I was born in Minneapolis. So I was born and raised there. Um, I spent 12 years at the University of Minnesota doing my college, so undergrad, uh, graduate school, and medical school. Uh, and then I ventured to Mayo Clinic for residency. and Residency for neurosurgery, seven years, and then there's an additional one year that you do a pediatric fellowship to subspecialize. So I spent that at St. Jude Children's Hospital. And I really subspecialize in pediatric brain tumors. So my, my, my field is really the, the tumors that kids can get um, in the brain or the spine. So you add all that up, it ends up being about 20 years of ed- education, I guess, after high school. Um, and then I've been on staff at Mayo Clinic for about a decade.
0: And we're so lucky to have the Mayo in our territory. Uh, I, and, and thinking about this, uh, these cases, uh, I wanted to ask you right off the top before we get into other details. Are we seeing, are you seeing, or are you and your colleagues seeing more cases over the years of, uh, of uh, kids having uh, brain, uh, brain tumors?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, generally speaking, the the rate of pediatric brain tumors has been um, pretty similar uh, since we've been tracking it. And so that's good news. Um, and the also the other part of that question is we're getting better at treating them, so we're getting better cure rates with them. So hopefully as we go forward, um, we can continue to do a good job treating these patients.
0: I'm thinking about, in fact, when I, when I mentioned uh, to my wife that you and I would be uh, chatting about this topic, Today, she said, "Keep in mind, our uh, our niece many years ago, at the Mayo Clinic, had brain tumor surgery, quite successfully, okay. I might add. And uh, in fact, as a matter of fact, she has uh, two kids and one on the way. So, so there was that's, uh, that's good news. But uh, that's a, that's a side story. How, when we think about children, and uh, and getting and having brain tumors, first of all, how many of the kids, the really tiny ones?" can't tell you what's going on. What kind of uh, uh, symptoms do you doctors see? Do you see when when they come in maybe with their primary initially?
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's a a good question, especially when they're really young. They're not going to tell you my head hurts or, you know, I have these neurological symptoms. So um, a lot of brain tumors cause their symptoms based on where they're located in the brain. And so sometimes it's easy because they present a seizure. So a child could simply just have a seizure and that's the tip off that something might be um, going wrong upstairs. Um, But one of the most common ways for especially younger kids is the the plumbing in the brain gets blocked, so to speak. So you have water that fills up um, spaces in your brain called ventricles. And if the tumor ends up blocking that plumbing, that water builds up. So it can be as simply as having your pediatrician watch the head circumference, which was previously kind of going on the normal curve and then it starts to go off of that because it's growing. Why is it growing? Because the, the, the head is filled up with not just tumor, but water. So the water can get blocked and, and the plumbing um, kind of expands that space. So simply just following the head circumference can be a tip-off that something's happening in a very young child. Um, once our fontanel closes and stuff, then it becomes a little bit different. Um, so seizures, um, increased head circumference, just extreme irritability, fussiness. Um, you know, those are some of the things. Or then parents can sometimes realize, well, they're not actually using part of their body very well. Their right hand isn't able to do things that it used to be, um, or they're they're not they're not meeting their milestones. So it really depends on where the tumor is located and kind of what symptoms may manifest on the outside. But you're right. Sometimes these tumors can get really big in little kids because they're not able to tell us what's wrong
0: want to invite our listeners, Dr. Daniels, uh, to join in the conversation. If you have a question for Dr. David Daniels, by all means, you can call us or text us. It's just one number. We'll get you either a phone call or a text, 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. Uh, we don't need to get really detailed, but are there various, various types, doctor, of brain tumors in children?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, so the brain tumors run the, the full spectrum to super benign that, you know, this is something that we could just watch. We don't even need to treat. Um, and, and some of these patients may actually never need treatment um, to something that's, you know, very malignant that, you know, is every parent's worst nightmare. Um, the good news is the really, really bad tumors are quite rare. Um, and the, the benign tumors that, that patients do quite well from are, are fairly common. And so those are the those are the things. But it's kind of like a whole smorgasbord of fruit. You have bananas, pears, apples, uh, et cetera, the same thing with brain tumors. And so it's really, you really need to put the whole picture together. You need to have the age of the patient. Um, ultimately, you really need a diagnosis, um, you know, if you're actually talking about treatment. So that means you have to get some type of tissue, et cetera. But the, the ranges of tumors vary wildly. The good news, as I said, is is that a lot of them are very benign and kids do exceedingly well
0: boy what is what a scary uh, diagnosis to hear uh, as a mother or dad wow now is is are some of these uh, tumors i mean do we know where they come from i guess that's my first
1: question <laughs> yeah that's a good question too um some of the tumors we know what where they come from and what drives them but i'll say that a lot of tumors and it's it's kind of like a lot of tumors just even in adults or anywhere else in the body it's sort of just dumb luck Um, But some of the tumors we do know, we we are getting a better understanding of what drives these tumors. And the kid tumors, so the pediatric type of tumors that I deal with, um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, brain development. And that's why they occur in children at a young age. And that's why some of these children can actually be born with these tumors or shortly thereafter. So, you know, brain cells ultimately um, become the final cells that they're going to be in the body. But they start out as something different. They start out as what are called stem cells. And these stem cells may go on to become a neuron. A neuron is something that the brain uses for you know, connecting pathways. And it's during that development process that they can develop this problem. And instead of becoming that brain cell that it's supposed to be, it becomes a tumor. But it's more complex than that. A whole bunch of bad luck sort of needs to happen in between. And some of it could be genetic, so People are predisposed because their parents or whatever have some of these genes that may predispose them. But usually more things need to happen than just that. Um, so it's really a complex problem. But I will say that the children, the, you know, the pediatric brain tumors, um, a lot of it comes from brain cells that are supposed to go on to become their final things. They don't. They reprogram themselves ultimately to become cancer. Hmm.
0: Dr. Daniels, uh, hang on, please. We're going to take a quick break. Invite our listeners again to join in on the conversation. Uh, if you're just tuning uh, tuning in, Dr. David Daniels is a neurosurgeon, pediatric neurosurgeon at Mayo Clinic. We're talking about treating uh, pediatric brain tumors this morning. And again, we welcome your questions for the doctor at 651 On this Sunday morning, 31 degrees, some uh, freezing fog out there. Uh, so if you're heading out, you might uh, watch yourself not only walking but driving. Uh, The things should clear out a little bit later. and We'll have the same problem tomorrow morning. So keep that in mind if you're uh, on your way to work. Right now, 31 degrees in the Twin Cities. Stay with us. A little fog and mist reported here in the Twin Cities. 31 degrees. We are on our way to near 40 today calm winds too. So we'll see little areas of fog, but we'll bring up more weather details coming along in just a few minutes. Denny Long here filling in for Susie Jones, who caught a little flu bug a couple days ago. So that's why I'm here, and she'll be here next week, of course. Uh, In the meantime, if you're just joining us, Dr. David Daniels, who is a pediatric neurosurgeon at the Mayo Clinic. We're talking this morning about treating pediatric brain tumors and uh, getting a lot of reaction, uh, Doctor. A lot of questions coming in. In fact, here here's an interesting one. I think, and I hadn't thought of this myself. We're talking about brain tumors in uh, in children, but uh, are they the, the the question is Are, are they uh, more common than brain tumors in adults?
1: Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, the pediatric brain tumors um, are definitely rarer than uh, tumors that occur in adults. And the simple reason for that is some of this, as I mentioned before, is that dumb luck part. And as you get older, you have more chances for that dumb luck to happen. And so I can say the overall incident in children is, is definitely less than adults, which is good news.
0: We'll be talking uh, to this hour about the therapies as well, among other things. Uh, again, here is our phone number. It's also the text number, six five one four six one nine two two six. Questions for Dr. Daniels. Uh, what determines I'm looking at a text right now, doctor. What determines a child's brain tumor be handled here, meaning in Minnesota or surrounding areas uh, versus needing a referral to some other some other clinic some other hospital
1: sure um you know the it's a really scary thing, as you already mentioned when you know a parent gets you know handed the you know fact that when we found something in your child's head it's likely a brain tumor. how do you treat that and the urgency for that treatment is really going to dictate sort of how far. You know, somebody could go to get opinions or second opinions, so to speak. So the hydrocephalus piece that I mentioned where children can get bigger heads, it, it can also be lethal quickly um, in a child that doesn't have an open fontanelle, because the pressures can get very big in the head if your skull is closed. And so a lot of patients, you know, a, a half of the patients, maybe a third of the patients will present in a very extreme way where they actually have to have very urgent care and, and you're not going to be able to go very far because the child's sick and is going to need something quickly to relieve that pressure. Um, whereas somebody that doesn't have that problem, you know, the family would have more time, so to speak. You need to be treated at a center that has a well-worked out program with many dedicated specialists to, to be able to handle and treat in you know, a diagnosis like a pediatric brain tumor. So, you know, an average hospital that you may show up and may or may not have that. And so I can say that here in Minnesota, there's, you know, a few spots that you'd be able to do that. Um, but there are specialty centers across the country um, that, that do this well. At Mayo Clinic, we have a whole dedicated team. So we have 22 neurosurgeons in our field. Um, I'm the only one who deals with pediatric brain tumors. So we have one specialist that deals with that. But we also have a radiologist, several of them that only deal with this. We have a neurologist that only deals with this. And we have an oncology team that only deals with the pediatric brain tumors. And so you really want to be at a center that has that, that subspecialization in the whole field that can be able to treat and see the patient. So I guess that's the best way I could describe it. You have Boy. to have the whole team there um, to be able to, to, to put this together.
0: Boy, I guess you do there at Mayo. Wow. Here, <laughs> here is, uh, it's not a question, doctor. It's a comment, and I know maybe you can't comment on this particular case, but you can relate to it, I'm sure. Uh, I'll just read it. We lost our 7-year-old granddaughter to medulloblastoma in 2000. She uh, suffered with terrific headaches for quite a while. Said it's so rare that symptoms were not taken seriously soon enough. This was such a heartbreaker.
1: Yeah, I can definitely comment on that. So medulloblastoma is the most common malignant pediatric brain tumor. And unfortunately, it's actually the number one cancer killer in children. So we've done so well with cancer in general. So the leukemias were the most common, you know, pediatric-style cancer. But we've done so well treating that that some of these more rarer things, like the brain tumors, have become um, the bigger problem. So medulloblastoma is the most common malignant brain tumor, and therefore is also the most common, um, you know, tumor that is causing children to, to die, unfortunately. Um, the good news for medulloblastoma is we have come a long way. Eighty uh, percent of the children with medulloblastoma have a have a five-year survival rate that's favorable, and so the majority of these kids are living. But that still means that twenty percent of them are not, and it's definitely correct where parents may notice something that's wrong. You go to the pediatrician and you can't quite, it's, so, it's sort of nebulous. It's not, it doesn't present itself. It's typically presents with the hydrocephalus. That's the water building up, so pressure increase, and that's where the headaches come from. And so that's sort of hard sometimes to sort through. Is there something really wrong there? Do we just have to get an MRI scan or a CT scan on everybody's brain? And the answer to that is no, we shouldn't. But I will say that, you know, parents become very frustrated when ultimately they've gone on for quite a while without understanding, you know, getting that diagnosis, and they finally find something that's there. Rightfully so. As a parent, you're like, well, I should have been a better advocate for my child, this or that. Um, but I'll say that that's not – this isn't an isolated, you know, thing. It, it does happen all the time. It's because, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, a lot of these children can't quite tell you what's wrong. You know something's wrong but it's really hard for them to to really go further than that. So um, I I certainly sympathize uh, with uh, the person who wrote that.
0: We're going to break for weather coming up in a minute or two. Uh, I want to grab another text before we run out of time uh, to get some answers here. Can the doctor, this text says, can the doctor explain why some adults have tumors more common, granted it's an adult question, common in children? Explain why some adults have tumors more common in children. A friend has a spinal tumor which is rare and most commonly found in pediatrics.
1: Yeah, that's a good question, too. The, um, the, so some of these tumors are super benign that they were there when that person likely was a child. And, and for whatever reason, why did it manifest itself in itself? So meaning that maybe the tumor arose when the patient was five and, and grew during that period of time. And these tumors sometimes just stop growing. And that's why they're so benign. That's why they don't cause problems long-term. And, and then maybe something happened. Maybe you know, an older patient then becomes you know, you know, starts getting degenerative disease, you know, arthritis, some of these other things. And then somehow that can compound it and then show itself, so to speak. So then we said, oh, we look, we found a tumor there. That tumor could have been there for a really long period of time. So there's many different scenarios how you can get there. Sometimes an adult can just simply get a tumor like a child and, and that type of tumor. But, but the, the person who wrote that is definitely right. The, there might be overlap on the names of these tumors, but children definitely get different versions of tumors than adults typically do. Um, and so the most simplest answer is an adult has that type of tumor. It's, it's possible that it just was there all the time, or then it's a very rare case where that kind of pediatric version of it just somehow grew as, as the patient became an adult, etc.
0: If you are just joining us, Dr. David Daniels, a pediatric neurosurgeon at the Mayo Clinic, is uh, with us this morning. We're talking about treating uh, pediatric brain tumors and uh, welcoming your questions. And we we have a bunch uh, to uh, get answered here. Doctor, when we come back after the weather, maybe we can talk about if if a mom or dad sees the, the child is... There's something different, and they want to take to the pediatrician. Maybe you can take a step-by-step before uh, this child ends up at the Mayo Clinic, what the process might be. And then maybe we can talk about some therapies uh, as well uh, when, when we okay. come back. Very good. Dr. David Daniels will uh, be back right after the weather here. Stay with us on News Talk 830 WCCO. Good Sunday morning to you. Welcome back. Susie Jones is off today. She's fighting a little bit of a a, 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 bug, a virus bug, and she is recuperating nicely. I'm told. So Susie will uh, we'll talk to you here in a couple of days or so. In the meantime, Denny Long here filling in for Susie. Dr. David Daniels is our guest this morning. Dr. Daniels is a neurosurgeon with expertise in treating pediatric brain tumors. That is what we're talking about uh, this morning. Uh, just before the break, doctor, we, uh, I wanted to ask you about the, the process of, of maybe um, moms and dads are listening this morning and thinking, uh, you know, they're watching, they're their maybe really a, their infants and, and maybe toddlers, and maybe something seems a little bit off. But the, the process is they take us through the process of, of maybe they, when they end up at the Mayo Clinic and you start treating them. Uh, wh- where do they go first? They're pediatrician, I assume.
1: Mm-hmm. yes most of the children i would say are diagnosed at that level of the pediatrician where the parents raise a concern the pediatrician listens so it could be simply the pediatrician is noting that head circumference is in, increasing in size the parents state that their child is fussy um and and so then the the pediatrician gets the mri scan most of the times once the pediatrician has the mri scan you know they're notified instantly and it's usually at that level that i'm either The pediatrician knows somebody either at Mayo Clinic, just calls and refers the patient, uh, et cetera. But you can just literally call the operator at times. Um, But I'll say that a lot of my diagnoses that we get and where people are coming in are from pediatricians directly. Oh, I just got this child off the scanner. The parents don't even know the results of this yet. What are the next steps? And so, you know, the pediatrician's asking me, you know, how to do that. So at Mayo Clinic, we have uh, next day appointments essentially, where we can assemble our team together to to get these these families in, because we certainly recognize that a, you know, the families are going to be under a lot of duress to to try to figure this out, but also, you know, time is of the essence, especially in some of the malignant tumors. So we need to move quickly. So I'd say that that's you know half or even more than half of the referrals just come from the pediatrician recognizing something, ordering an MRI scan of the brain. That's ultimately done. That can take a while sometimes because especially like if we're talking about an infant or a very young child, they can't just go and get an MRI scan. They have to be intubated, sedated, you know, to be able to make that happen. And so sometimes those slots are a ways out. So sometimes it can take a week um, for them to get these scans. The other group of children just present an extremis, or some, you know, they're, they have that hydrocephalus where that pressure is building up and they're really sick, not doing well and they end up in the emergency department, emergency department gets the scans, and, and that's the, the other way. Um, and so, or a seizure happens, and you know, they're on their way to the emergency room, and then ultimately they get a scan. So those are kind of the two ways that it happens. But once the patients end up at Mayo Clinic, it's gonna be one of those two routes, if it's an elective where the pediatrician has called us, we get them in to see us the next day, and it's a whole team. We kind of do it in a serial fashion. We have um, a pediatric neurologist who specializes just in brain tumors, and so they, the, the family would come and see this neurologist. Her name is uh, Dr. Keating, and she would um, do a full history, understand kind of what the family history is, what are the symptoms that have been going on, and get a very detailed exam, a neurological exam. And so we can kind of isolate, okay, these are the neurological problems this child might be having. Then an oncologist, um, Dr. Schwartz is kind of the quarterback of our ship. He's a hematologist oncologist, would see the patient. Um, We would already have the scans. We'd already have a kind of understanding of what we think we're dealing with. And then um, there's other people that might get involved if there's endocrine issues. They may see a pediatric endocrinologist. If ultimately radiation would be required, sometimes they'd see the radiation oncologist. But usually the last step is to see the surgeon and that would be me. And that's where we've already had an exam we've had detailed information Um, we have our MRI scan and then we can talk about that treatment and surgery does make up a lot of the treatment for this because first off even for any of these tumors we need a diagnosis if we're going to treat and that means getting tissue and the only way to do that is surgically and so the family would spend a day or two at Mayo Clinic seeing all these experts kind of in a serial fashion and then try to wrap it up into this is what we think um, how we should treat this as a group this pediatric brain tumor group we get together on a weekly basis um, to formally review all these cases, but instantly, you know, we're emailing, texting each other, you know, talking about what what what's coming in and what we're dealing with. So that's kind of just a bird's eye overview of how that would look.
0: Well, how great for uh, for the parents who are under such stress, uh, given this issue, that uh, there's no waiting months, weeks, or months to get uh, to get some answers. So that's that, that's that's tremendous. Uh, here's a, before we talk about therapy, and let's do that next. There's a, there's a text that. Uh, Not talking about tumors, but maybe you can uh, comment on it. Uh, This is said it's not tumor-related, but this tester knows one child that was cured of seizures with brain surgery. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, sure. So seizures are essentially a really excited, overly excited brain. So, you know, the brain cells are supposed to communicate with electricity, essentially, and uh, if that gets uh, a little bit overexcited, that's what a seizure is. So it can be just a, simply a hand is you know tremoring, but it could also be the whole body, which would be kind of a generalized seizure. So some seizures have, um, are generalizable in the brain and that the brain cells are just not wired properly. That's hard for a neurosurgeon to treat when that happens. But majority of seizures are actually caused by structural problems in the brain. So one of those reasons is a brain tumor. The brain tumor is exciting, irritating parts of those brain which can set off a seizure. But scars, um, and there's other things that can be developmental that the child could have just grown with that they didn't. The family doesn't even know. If, if there's a driver for the brain tumor, if or sorry for the seizure, if there's a nidus, if there's something that's driving the brain to have that seizure, the surgeon can cut that part out to cure the seizure. So, again, if the brain tumor is a driver, we cut out the brain tumor. But other things, scarring, developmental things that the patient was born with. Those are things that also can be surgically amenable. So um, I do the, the seizures that would be related to the brain tumors because there's a brain tumor there. But we also have another specialist that would do the seizures that are not related to brain tumors. And a lot of that requires specialized Uh, monitoring ahead of time. So it could be a a surgery that you have electrodes placed all over your brain so you can figure out where that extra electrical activity is and say, can we cut that out? So that's kind of just the general overview of how how seizure surgery and, and how we could be treating that.
0: If you're just joining us, Dr. David Daniels, who's a neurosurgeon with expertise in treating pediatric brain tumors at the Mayo Clinic is with us this morning. I'll tell you what, let's take this quick break, inviting our listeners to join in. We do have the remaining minutes of the show, 651-461-9226. Back in a moment here on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. 748 on a Sunday morning, Denny in for Susie. She'll be back next week. In the meantime, we're having a chat with Dr. David Daniels, who is a neurosurgeon with expertise in treating pediatric brain tumors at the Mayo Clinic. And I know our time is just flying by this morning, uh, Dr. Daniels, and appreciate your taking your time to to help us out on this this topic. Let's uh, let's, if we can, talk a little bit about the therapies. I know the Mayo is always on the cutting edge of various treatments. And what what what, uh, what do you do in your uh, your practice?
1: Mm-hmm, sure. So in general, and this is with you know cancer, generally speaking, surgery, which I'm a surgeon, cut it out. It can be curative at times, but sometimes additional um, treatment may be necessary for that, which would be chemotherapy. So drugs, you know, can we find, you know, some type of drugs that can be effective for this type of cancer um, and then radiation therapy. So for sure, Mayo Clinic is the only uh, proton beam radiation center um, in this region. And so that kind of makes up our Weapons that I would say that we use against cancer, so surgery, drugs, which is chemotherapy and radiation. So those are kind of the broads eye overview of what we would be using to treat. Um, Surgery, you know, surgery does advance as you know we get better technology, we get you know better instruments, so to speak. Um, But I'd say that the actual act of surgery is probably less changing um, than uh, some of the other fields. Chemotherapy, we're always finding new drugs that can be effective uh, to treat tumors, and so for kid tumors that we're talking about, the pediatric brain tumors, we know now what are some of the molecular drivers that drive an individual tumor. And we actually may have a drug that can work on a specific tumor that that patient actually has, kind of individualized medicine, so to speak. Um, And then radiation treatment is the other part. And that's where um, we're a large referral center for this region because we have the only proton center. The proton radiation is supposed to be kinder. It's not supposed to. I guess we have data now that shows that it's kinder, gentler. The surrounding brain, so we can still hit the tumor with the radiation, but we can hurt the surrounding brain less. So that's kind of just the kind of then an overview of how the treatment different or the different treatment options that would be available.
0: When I was reading on this various to- this topic on various uh, therapies, and I came across a, a term I had never heard before. Maybe you could help me. Liquid biopsy. What is that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So um, when I was mentioning that we'd have to get a piece of tissue of the tumor, that would be surgically, we'd have to put a hole in the skull, you know, put some type of probe um, to go in there and actually get a piece of the tumor itself. But let's say the tumor has a very specific genetic mutation. So it carries a, you know, kind of a fingerprint, so to speak, of what I am. It can shed that fingerprint into the bloodstream. And so a liquid biopsy would be where we can simply take a sample of the patient's blood And determine if they have uh, a specific type of tumor and so that field is still sort of in its infancy so to speak but the tumor that I study in the laboratory does have a very specific genetic mutation that a normal person wouldn't have in their DNA and we can go fishing for that so to speak in the bloodstream and we have successfully been able to do that but I can say that that's not it's not the standard of how we diagnose some of these tumors yet but I will say that with time my expectation is that liquid biopsy in you know, sampling the bloodstream, trying to get the answer instead of having to put somebody through a full surgical procedure. I do think that that's going to become more developed and more mainstream as time goes on.
0: Very good. I'm looking at uh, a couple of uh, remaining uh, text messages from our listeners, doctor. Here's maybe we can feel them before you take your leave today. Would, uh, here's one. Would a brain tumor cause my granddaughter to develop ticks?
1: Yeah, so, you know, obviously it's hard to, you know, give an answer right. not having seen a patient, et cetera. But I'll say that generally speaking, tics are not related to tumors. Tics are kids just develop. And I have three children. I've watched them go through their, their growing stages. So most types of what we would call tics, that would be some type of abnormal movement, eye blinking, um, movement of hands or whatever, um, would be just more of a development behavioral issue, not so much a brain tumor.
0: Here's a here's a, a question. I in fact the topic I have not heard uh, of years uh, years ago. People many thought that uh, cell phones were a culprit as far okay. as uh, brain tumors. What what's the story on? Bring us up to date on
1: that. I'm going to tell you that I think people have done a lot of studies with this now. And I can say that in the field, we've debunked that theory. And I think that everybody dismisses that, um, that that cell phones do not cause brain tumors. I think anybody in the field is is very comfortable saying that. I think that's where we're at.
0: That's good to hear. Uh, And thank you for that text listener. Uh, Another one. uh, Good morning. And you've, you've commented on this uh, earlier in the show, doctor, I know, but some, some folks maybe. uh, uh, joining us a little bit late. Good morning. This tech says, does a larger than normal head circumference indicate a child has a brain tumor or encephalitis?
1: Yeah. So generally speaking, it's not the fact that a child would have a big head. Kids can just be born with a big head. So it's really looking at, there's a growth curves that we have that have come out of a whole bunch of people that you follow. What is a normal growth curve for a child? That's gonna be in their height, their weight, but also their head circumference. So it's really a change off of that growth curve. So if you're at the one percentile, meaning the biggest one percentile, if you were just born there and you stay there, that's probably not a problem. But if you're at that one percentile and all of a sudden you grow off of that and you're like at the 0.001 percentile, it's crossing lines on these development charts. That's what catches our attention. It's not just the big head in general, okay? So some kids just have a big head in general, and that's okay. They usually It's usually familial. So you look at dad and say, whoa, dad's got a big hat size. Um, you know, so it's really the change that we want to see that tips us off.
0: So final question, I think, related to that in a way, uh, could b- pediatric brain tumors be hereditary?
1: Absolutely. So we do know that some of them are. Um, and that's based on, you know, the parents have genes, or then a new mutation that necessarily sort of happens. But yes, uh, there are definitely tumor syndromes that we have that are passed down um, from the parents um, to the children, um, and, and 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 then we follow them closely because we know that those type of patients will grow new tumors because they have a real important driver that is kind of allowing those tumors to occur. Um, neurofibromatosis type one would be one of the more common things that we see um, that would be inheritable or hereditary. So for sure, absolutely.
0: Well, I tell you what—we're down to seconds, as a matter of fact. This this hour for me, anyway, has really flown by, and I, I appreciate your expertise, Doctor Daniels, and and I know for sure that we're going to be asking you again down the road if you, uh, to be so kind, to join us again on the show. This is an important topic, and and uh, it's good to hear. I was going to say go gophers because, <laughs> I know you spent them some time at the University of Minnesota, but uh, thanks so much, Doctor Daniels, and uh, I hope we can call on you again.
1: Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. So thank you very much for having me anytime.
0: Thanks very much. Dr. David Daniels, again, if you're just joining us, uh, Dr. Daniels is a neurosurgeon, a pediatric neurosurgeon uh, at the uh, Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Thanks to Dr. Daniels, and thank you for listening. Denny Long filling in for the ailing Susie Jones. A little bit of a virus bug. She'll be back here in a couple of days, if not even tomorrow. Uh, stay tuned next for Bruce and Peg and uh, more of your money from the Wealth Enhancement Group. 31 degrees, fog and mist. Be careful if you're walking out there. We'll uh, have your money next straight ahead here on 30 WCCO.